Well, we're looking forward this morning to starting a new series and uh, excited to do that. It was funny, I was at the gym on Thursday morning and it was the evening of the, or the morning just before our new service. And this guy that I've gotten to know in the last year comes up to me and, and he comes up and he's like, man, it's going to be a great night tonight. Are you excited? And I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm like, how does he know about this? He's like, I'm so looking forward to this season. He was talking about football, but I was excited about what he was prophetically calling us to an exciting season at our, at our church as we're launching the new service this past Thursday and excited also to be starting a new series through this uh, book of uh, uh, Acts and working through the story of the early church. And I feel like that's uh, fitting as we're talking about fresh starts and new beginnings and, and uh, what God's going to do through the faithful few. I was thinking about this, really the, the story of Acts is the story of just a small group. It started with 120 people, maybe just a, a little bit smaller than what's in this room right now of folks that said, you know what, we're going to take this whole ambassador thing serious. We're going we're gonna to take this whole proclaiming Christ to the world and the nations. We're going to take that literally and look what happens a couple thousand years later because of their faithfulness. We're here today because of what God's done through a few faithful men and women in the early church. We're here celebrating still a couple thousand years later. And I wonder if through this series, through this study of the books, book of Acts, that we might be stirred to write a story of our own. How fun would that be if a couple hundred years from now, there's a group that comes together and says, remember that little old church in Agora Hills? Remember when they got serious about their faith, when they got serious about proclaiming Jesus Christ to their circle of influence, how God used that in an awesome and amazing way to influence the surrounding area. So we're praying towards that. I wanted to just start just our, our whole time in the, in the book of Acts by inviting him to teach us, to stretch us, to grow us, through this. God, we invite you now just to reign and rule over this study of your hand at work through these few people. God, we ask that you teach us through this, that it wouldn't just be a, a book of information, but it'd be a, a, a time of transformation. God, we ask that you'd speak to us directly. We invite your spirit to be working and moving through this study for your glory and your honor. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, it's going to be a lot easier if we study Acts, if we're all looking at it together. And so I invite you now, if you wouldn't mind grabbing a Bible, whether it's on your phone or tablet, or if you don't have one, there's a Bible in one of the chairs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can keep one of those Bibles as a gift from us. Where we're going to be starting, let's guess where we're starting. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We're literally going to be working through this book and really doing it in three parts. The first part is going to be before Christmas. We're working through the first seven uh, chapters. And I wanted to give a little bit, while you're turning there, a little bit of background, a little bit of backdrop so you understand who uh, we're listening to, who we're reading. It's an account that's written by the author. The author of the book of Acts is... Nice job. There we go. Luke, Luke wrote the, the book of Acts, and he wrote one other book in the Bible. This is for bonus points. What else did he write? John, the book of John. No, I'm just kidding. He wrote the book of Luke uh, is the other book. And in fact, the combined between the two, it's about 25% of the New Testament. So Luke was a major author in the New Testament. He's actually the only Gentile author in all of scripture, which is interesting. He's to believe to have come to Christ 
and been converted on Paul's first missionary journey when he was in Troas. He was a dear friend to Paul. We see that all over uh, the scripture in the New Testament. And he's referred to in uh, 2 Timothy 4.11 as the only one who remained with Paul during his imprisonment, which was an important thing because Luke was also a physician. And so I'm sure that meant a lot to have the physical care as well. So Dr. Gentile uh, wrote this book. It's believed that he um, was present for a good uh, percentage of it, an actual firsthand witness. In fact, in Acts 16.10, he refers to changes from talking about a situation to referring to it in the first person as being there. So he was literally an eyewitness, we believe, to much of this. Many believe that this, we're going to see in verse 1, Theophilus, who is a friend of his, a, a close cousin to Snuffleupagus, uh, just kidding, uh, was, uh, was one of the people that actually paid for the effort of writing the book, to, 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 f- to fund that effort of writing both the book, the account in Luke that we have of Jesus' life, and then the account of the early church that we'll find in the book of Acts. The theme of the book, a couple more details, theme of the book, a lot of people will uh, debate about the theme. But what I would suggest and what I agree with others have suggested, the theme is what happened. That's the theme. Literally, what happened? Like it's, it's, a, it's a historical account he's giving. He's not trying to get across some kind of a, a agenda. He's literally giving an account of the facts of the early church. Anybody else here appreciate facts and details? It's a, uh, an account of the early church that he's giving throughout. And it's literally covers both the good and the bad covers both the good and the bad. That's how you can tell a lot of times when something's not made up, when you're like, oh, it covered the, shows the, the, the warts and the good stuff. Like it, it covers it all. And for us, it's encouraging because it reminds us that there's no such thing as a perfect church. In fact, tell the person next to you, there's no such thing as a perfect church. That's good news uh, for us uh, being imperfect people here in Agora. So date, likely written between 62 and 64 AD. So after Christ uh, left the earth, after that, he was written. Believe that it didn't trickle past 64 because historically in 64 AD was when Nero started this huge persecution of the church. And that would have most likely been given in this account if that had happened. So somewhere in the 62 to 64 uh, very jam-packed, as I mentioned, with facts. In fact, there's a gentleman, a scholar by the name of William Ramsey, Ramsey, who set out to disprove the accuracy of the book of Acts. I found that interesting. About 100 years ago, he went on this effort of disproving it because really, if you could debunk Acts, you would debunk the whole idea of Christianity and what Christ stood for and stands for. And in his effort, the more he studied, the more he dug into whether it was archaeological finds, whether it was other uh, pieces of history and accounts, the more it affirmed it to be true. In fact, it's reading about William Ramsey literally came into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ because of his effort of debunking the book of Acts. Isn't that kind of fun? So this is a, a fact-filled what happened kind of a story. But as I mentioned in my prayer, I hope that it becomes more than that for us, not just a, a, a gathering of information, but something that leads to transformation. My prayer is that we would be different people after studying the book of Acts. With that said, let's look at verse one as we get into the 
text itself. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. And after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles from, from whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, from John the, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. If there's anybody here that ends up watching a, a bit of Netflix, one of the things that you appreciate in some of your binge watching, I'm sure no one here does that, but of series, what do they typically do at the beginning of a new show? They say, previously on loss, previously on designated survivor, or, or previously on the bachelor. Uh, I don't know that anyone watches that show, but if you did, uh, those would be some of the words you often hear because that's typically what a, a healthy start to a new account is. And that's exactly what Luke does. He starts with a little bit of a recap, if you will. Previously, because he had mentioned some of this at the end of the book of Luke, and he starts talking about the last 40 days that the disciples spent with Jesus find it interesting, and it talks about the proofs that he had and all that, and there's different accounts uh, elsewhere in Scripture that refer to in those 40 days at sometimes even appearing to over 500 people at once. It'd be one thing if you had a couple people that said, oh, I saw this vision of Jesus in the, in, in, in the night, and I woke up and saw him, but it's another thing when somebody spends 40 days with you. 40 days ago was August 1st. Can you imagine if somebody had spent the last, since August 1st, 1st all the way to September 10th with you? Like, that, that's not something you're confused about. That's not something you're like, oh, I'm not sure. I think I may have seen him. No, 40 days is how much time he spent with him before leaving it. And it gives a little bit of a, uh, an account of that, that he was, he was teaching them, he was instructing them. Find it interesting in verse one, a couple of the words that he chooses that, uh, that Luke chooses to use. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's referring to the book of Luke and look what he says, all that he began to do. It's a little bit confusing because you're like, wait a second. That was the account of Jesus' birth all the way up to when he ascended to heaven. How is that just an account of what he began to do? What I love about that is that it's a picture of the book of Acts is what he continues to do. You see, when Jesus ascended to heaven, that wasn't his finished work. Him working through the disciples to build his church is his continued work. So you might see in the beginning of your Bible, how many of you, when you look down at chapter one, you see up at the top, it says the Acts of the what? The Acts of the Apostles. Now that, that's, that's human written title for this. I would suggest that it's incorrect, that I would suggest that it's the Acts of Jesus Christ through the Apostles. So scratch that out in your Bible. No, you don't have to do that. But you, you get the idea that he is marked, he's marked all over this book of the early church. 
My uh, two daughters, age 10 and age 9, are in a fun season of life. They're actually getting into baking things, which is kind of interesting. And uh, about, I don't know when it was, but somewhat recently, they came and they had baked a chocolate chip chocolate cake. Does that sound awesome? Anybody else want to sign up for that? Now, when they came to me with this chocolate chip chocolate cake, I was a little bit, if I'm honest with you, a little bit hesitant about it. So, right, you get a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old. I cut a piece, and I'm, like, going to take one of those, like, little courtesy bites. I take a bite. This cake was amazing. It was awesome. One bite led to, like, half the cake being eaten by, uh, by me uh, all by myself. And I was, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, you guys made this? You got, you got, you got, this is incredible. I look just past their little cute selves. There's my wife over in the corner of the kitchen giving me the little, <laughs> little wink that even though their hands might have been mixing ingredients, even though they might have participated in it, guess who made the cake? My wife. She's a wonderful baker. She does great with that stuff. And I was thinking about that. Isn't that the picture of this early account of Acts where he's just like, yeah, it's the works of the apostles, but aren't we glad that he's baking the cake? The church is his hand at work through normal, average, ordinary Joes like you and I. So it starts with that reminder that he was just getting started. These are his greatest hits didn't end in the gospels. So he points to many proofs. He comes back. He's talking about the kingdom of God. That's awesome. He just continues to talk about what he was talking about before he left. Then it says something. It says he ordered them. What does it say that he ordered them to do? He says that he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the coming Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus wasn't much for making suggestions or maybe you could do this, guys. That'd be great. He's like, no, you're going to stay here until you get some help. I don't want you trying to bake that cake on your own. You need the Holy Spirit to be a part of this process. And I love that reminder for trying to take things to apply to ourselves. How often we need to just wait. Wait on the Spirit's leading. Wait on His prompting. Wait on Him in the decision-making process that you're in the thick of. That's what He calls us to. Anybody else have uh, seasons where you've blazed ahead without waiting and you've said like, oh, I should have given that a little more consideration. I should have prayed through that more. I should have sought more counsel of godly counsel. I, I, I wish I would have waited. And that's what he's calling them to do. We had our, my wife and I are in a life group and it was interesting in our conversation on Friday evening. It was one of the more significant conversations that we've had in a while. We just shared some time, each person sharing things that they were waiting on for God. There wasn't a, a dry eye in the room as they're recounting like, man, uh, as I'm trying to figure out this, this, this cancer thing, as I'm trying to figure out this loss, as I'm trying, I, I'm just waiting on God. And I would suggest that it's the same charge back then as it is today so often for us. We just need to wait on God to move before we blaze the trail on our own. So he has that as a, a charge, if you will, that he, that he points them to. And then he moves on to some other instructions. You see this here in verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I'm going to break that down. I know that was a lot there, but if you think about what's, what's transpiring, first thing that you notice is that they ask the same reoccurring question, really, that you'll see through the gospel accounts. They keep asking, when are you going to set up your kingdom here on earth? In other words, we're under miserable Roman rule. When are you going to make things better? Isn't that the same today for us? So desperately wanting to know when he's going to make everything better, when he's going to fix our circumstances, when he's going to make all things right, the things that we sing about, the things that we look forward to. And what does Jesus do? It's like, oh, it's not for you to know that. In other words, don't get caught up in that. Focus, what does he redirect them on? Focus on what you're called to do. The verse we memorized here this morning, the great commission, you're called to be my witnesses. Don't get caught up of when is my rest coming? When are the glory days gonna finally start? You have a mission that you've been called to. Saying, don't be distracted. Get back on course. It's gonna take every bit of your effort in order to fulfill the, the, the calling of being witnesses for me to the entire world, first locally and then to the world around you. Do you notice that redirect that he, that he ha has to them? He says, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you and you will be my witnesses. Love the idea that he's not saying it as you, you might be or you could be or you should be my witnesses. It's pretty direct. He's saying you will be my witnesses. Now, anybody else get a little bit concerned at this group of knuckleheads that he's talking to? Like they had, they had a lousy track record of being faithful witnesses to date, right? You see, they, they were very poor at following instructions. Remember even his last instructions, stay with me and pray a little bit. What do they do? fall asleep. You know, when he comes to get arrested, how do they stand up and defend him? What do they do? They're out of there. They're booking it. When Peter is asked by a 13-year-old girl, you, you, you were with Jesus. We know you were with. I don't know who Jesus was. Never met the guy. Who's Jesus? Like, are you kidding me? He was the leader. He was the one that they were, that Jesus was choosing to entrust with this eternity-changing message that the world was desperately in need of. Isn't that crazy if you think about it, who Jesus chose? He chose average nobodies to proclaim the gospel to the world around us. Anybody else find a little bit of encouragement in that? Like anybody else find some hope in that? I, I remember some years back when I was in, in college, 
I had gotten, uh, here's confession time, we're in church. Uh, I'd gotten into some trouble. The Christian school I was at had a curfew, and I'd gotten into, uh, we'll just say, a, a high-speed chase with campus safety and got busted. And, uh, and, and, so, uh, and, and so, I know, it's bad, right, Mario? Uh, and, and so, I'm in the dean's office, and he's talking to me, and he's explaining why, why I'm suspended. And, uh, and, uh, and it's just so happened that the suspension happened on my parents' birthday weekend, so I just showed up and like, hey, happy birthday, I'm here. Uh, but anyway, uh, but I was asking him, I was kind of concerned, I was like, is anyone ever going to see this like on my record, if you will? And he's like, oh, he's like, Scott, you got nothing to worry about. That would only be if you went into full-time ministry, someone might see it. <laughs> kind of ironic, huh? And uh, I was like, oh, well, then no problem there as a business major. But how God chooses to redirect paths and take people that you wouldn't expect to be a proclaimer of Christ and doing something through them. You see, he calls them to be a witness for him. If you think about witness, what is a, a witness? There's really two parts to it. Witness, the first thing is you see something happen, right? You, you literally uh, observe it. And then if you think about in court, what do you do next? You speak about what you saw. You, you profess it. I'll, I'll give you an example. My wife and uh, family were in Ocean City, New Jersey last year on a family vacation. We're out in the water. It's right around dusk, which is always a good time to go swimming, right? And uh, in the ocean, we're about waist deep, but it was a reef. And so it went, not reef, but like sandbar. It went way out. So we're probably 100 yards off the, uh, the shore. And all of a sudden, it's just me and uh, Adrian and our two daughters and our niece. And, and all of us are there. And out of nowhere, as, as close as the front row here, there's a shark that comes out of the water, hits a fish that was at the surface and comes out and splashes, lands on its side. It wasn't a dolphin. It wasn't confusion. Like it was a legit shark, like as large as I am right in front of us. So we're like pretty cool, huh? And so, uh, so, so at first I paused for a second and I was like, Oh, that was awesome. And then I was like, oh man, but that's not good. So I'm grabbing these kids out by the hair. No, I mean by the arms and, uh, and dragging them. It was like a cartoon scene. I'm running on top of the water as fast as I can to the shore. And do you think as I'm running to the shore, do you think I, I just stayed quiet about it? No, all the people I'm passing by, I'm like, there's a shark, get out of the water. I, I'm Because there's certain things that you see that you can't help but talk about. Because why? Because you recognize what I've seen is so key that they hear about it. Think about how this transpires. We can, we can read these texts and be like, yeah, that's a, an account of Jesus' ascension. That's when he ascends into heaven, you know? Are you kidding me? They just watched this man that they had seen hang on a cruel Roman cross, rise again from the dead, spent 40 days with them. In mid-conversation, he starts going up to heaven in front of them. Is that not worthy of talking about? 
Think about the dumb stuff we talk about. Hey, I, I bought a new microwave this week and it's so nice. It's the, it's the Hitachi version. Like, like our, what? Like the things that we get excited about and talk about are, that was a weird example. Uh, but but uh, that was off the cuff. Uh, uh, but the things that we get jazzed about and willing to talk about sometimes are insanity compared to what we've been called to be witnesses about. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came down, lived amongst us, lived the perfect life, died on a cross for, uh, to absorb our sin, then was buried, rose again on the third day, and then was raised from there up to heaven 40 days later. Are you kidding me? That's worth talking about. That's why he said, you will be my witnesses. But he says one last reminder there. You see it in the text. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So we're not just entrusted with that message in and of ourselves. He's like, also, I'm giving you, and I love the word power there is translated dunamis, which is the word that we get dynamite for. He's like, you're going to get the dynamite that you need to proclaim this to the world of what you've been entrusted with. He calls us with one last charge. He says, before you do that, Go to make sure you don't leave Jerusalem because you need the power source because I've seen how things go when you don't have that power source. So he sends, let's see if they obey. Verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they had been staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. A lot there, you get the idea. They actually obeyed this time. They finally got things right. They, they, they positioned themselves. I don't know if there's any uh, water skiers in the, in the group here or wakeboarders. Anybody enjoy doing that? Okay, okay, there's one of you. One of the things that's common sense, though, for if you're doing water skiing is you have to make sure that you're positioned correctly before, if you have any expectation of succeeding, right? Like for me, I was, I was wakeboarding this summer and as a 40-year-old man, it has to be like the perfect environment, you know, 44 actually. Uh, but but there, there, you gotta have the board sideways. You gotta be perfectly behind the boat. Like everything has to align. The stars have to be right. Like it has to be perfect in order for this whole thing to work. And I would suggest that's what they're learning. They're like obedience positions ourselves for God to transform us, for God to, to use us. If we're wanting to position ourselves for God to work in our lives, to do amazing things, why don't we start by obeying the things that we already do know, the things that he has asked us to do, to align us with that. So they, they make that observation and they, they, they're united in that. Look at the, what says the, the powerful picture, united with other believers. Interesting first uh, mention of a automobile in scripture, verse 14, all these with one accord. Sorry, uh, they clearly were a Honda owner. I can't picture all these guys packed into this one accord. It's also mentioned Jesus was also an accord owner. And uh, John 12, uh, 49, for I did not speak of my own accord. He didn't want to brag about it. 
uh, sorry, I couldn't resist as a car guy. My, my staff said I shouldn't do that. But uh, anyway, there we go. But they are devoted. They are all united in this effort. We can take that down. <laughs> um, <laughs> they are all united in this effort in aligning themselves so that the, the power source could come. Now we see they, they take one little detour while they're waiting. Take a look in, uh, oh, oh, one thing I wanted to point out that was kind of cool just in, in validating the authenticity of, of Christ and says that also who was mentioned there at the very end and his brothers, and his brothers, which was Jesus's brothers, which I would suggest if you can convince your brothers of something and then it's, it's legit true. If you, that makes it through that scrutiny. In fact, John 7, 5, had said, for not even his brothers believed in him. So until the, the, they, they had encountered the risen Christ, now all of a sudden they're in the, the crew. They're mentioned in Mark 6, 3, James, Joseph, Judas, also known as Jude and Simon, all of them there present, ready to go, part of this initial group of, of, of believers that God used to build the church from find it also interesting that it mentions Mary. You might find this fascinating that this is the only mention of Jesus' mother Mary in all of the book of Acts. It's interesting that other faith-based belief systems have applied her to a lot larger role in the church than she necessarily played in the beginning church. The only mention here of her in Acts continues there. You see what they did while they're waiting. This section, we'll read through it. It helps if you're looking at it with me. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. We all know Judas, right? The one who betrayed Christ. It says, For he was numbered among us, and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Gross. Doctor writing this. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who, has, who have accompanied us during all the time that, Jesus, uh, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. I know that was a lot to cover, but it was in the narrative, so you get what was happening there. Peter's recognizing that, hey, there used to be 12 of us, 12 disciples. We lost one, Judas. Why did they lose Judas? 
because he betrayed Christ. And then it says that he literally took his own life. And in fact, in the book of Matthew, it says that, it, that he hung himself. And sometimes upon reading this, you're like, why, why is his, are his bowels opening up if he, if he hung himself? We don't know exactly the answer to that. Maybe he fell to the rocks. And actually, the term hang yourself is a lot of times used in Scripture as a more general term for taking your own life. The most common way someone would take their own life was to fall on their own sword. So either way, in his despair and grief after abandoning and betraying Christ, he took his own life. God used that still for his glory. I love how God can even take poor decisions and still use that. It used it. And then there, he's recognizing, Peter, listen, we, we need to replace him. We need to figure out who has spent time. You see, the disciples weren't the only ones that, was with, that were with Jesus the whole trek, the whole time, all the way from his baptism, all the way to his ascension. There were other disciples, other followers. So they're deciding, are you tracking with this? They're deciding which of these guys is going to fill his spot. To me, though, it's interesting, and this is, a, you guys can maybe have this conversation over lunch. It's interesting that they would make such a major decision absent of waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit hasn't come yet, and they're choosing who the replacement is. And so you can, you can debate over that. Look how they decide. It says that they cast lots. They prayed over and cast lots. Lots were basically like dice, six-sided, white on one side, black on the other. They would roll these dice, and it was something that was used in the Old Testament to make decisions. But literally... How many of us here send up a prayer and roll dice for decisions that you're trying to make? Like, I, I don't know. It's not a common practice. I wouldn't say. Maybe you're looking at me blankly like that is something you do all the time. Uh, but, but you imagine that. And so that's some conversation is whether or not they were blazing the trail there without God's direction or not, whether Matthias, and literally this is the last mention of him in the book of Acts, which is a little bit concerning. Some would argue that, that, that Paul was the one that was intended to be the added disciple. There's your conversation over lunch. The point of this is regardless of what played out there, this was all setting the table for something that was worth the wait, the coming of the Holy Spirit. You see, all of a sudden, it wasn't going to be them driving their own ship. All of a sudden, it was going to be God at the helm through the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you don't understand this, as a follower of Jesus Christ, once you make that decision, the Holy Spirit sets up camp inside of us. He's the one that's prompting. He's the one saying, do this. Don't do that. Go here. Don't go there. He's that voice of reason. He's the, he's the one that's intended to be the guide that, that, that we desperately need. So it was worth the wait. And what I would suggest for us as the takeaway, because it's easy for us to listen to a lot of these accounts and be like, yeah, that's just kind of a historical account. But think back to some of the things that we just saw even in this little bit of text so far. Look about the, the, the charge to wait to not blaze the trail independent of God in major decisions in your life. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with, with waiting on that? We also saw this invitation to be not just an invitation, but a calling to be his witnesses, not just seeing him personally, but sharing about what we've seen. Think about that. How do we apply that? How do we put that into our life? What about uh, other areas that, that we, that we address the, the whole idea of, 
uh, moving too fast with the identifying the who's going to be the replacement trader. Like all, all these different things are meant to be facts that move us towards transformation, not just information. I'd suggest as a preview next week, things are about to get kind of crazy. And so prepare yourself. Maybe in advance, read the next section in Acts. Just prepare yourself because things get a little nutty with the early church. Are we okay with that? All right, let me pray for us before we wrap up. God, thank you for this chance to be in your word. And I love seeing your hand at work, that this was only the beginning. Your life here on earth was only the beginning of all that you did and continue to do in your church. I thank you that you're baking the cake that we get to be along the ride for the ride with. God, I pray that we would align ourselves that we position ourselves through obedience so that you can use us in the same way you use these men, just average guys, many years ago. Pray that this would stir us up to be impactors of the world that you've placed us in presently, God. Wouldn't just be more information that would lead to transformation. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful reminder to clean to that cornerstone, right? Even through the storm. I caught that too, just thinking about the storms going on right now. Just a reminder as you're going, if you want to be a part of the relief effort that we're doing here, you can give towards that as you're going. Otherwise, have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you.